0: Let me invite you to join me in prayer. Father, we do ask that, uh, as we sang just moments ago, Lord, we do ask that you would speak to us. Speak to us, Lord, through your word, through the guidance and the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we are going to shift gears a little bit as we turn... ...to a new series, a new message series from Paul's letter to the church at Colossae... Uh, ...the short letter known as Colossians and a message, message series titled Rediscover Jesus. We've spent quite some time now in the book of Genesis and looking at stories within a larger story... ...many sub-stories within an overarching grand story... Uh, the story of God redeeming a people uh, for himself. And today it's important that we recognize as we embark on a new sort of journey and a new series series from uh, a different letter within this book uh, that this book, the Bible, is one unified book. It is a book that holds together and stands together and Though we go to a different book, we don't go to a different book. And though we are no longer talking about many of the stories specifically that we've been looking at from God's Word in Genesis, particularly tracing events that happened in the life of Abraham, we are still talking about those stories because they are a part of the big story. When it comes to the Bible, when it comes to... God's holy word. There is nothing in the Bible that God did not intend to be in the Bible. Nor is anything missing from the Bible that God had hoped would be there. It is complete. Is written under the inspiration and guidance of God himself, God's holy spirit. And so because we are looking at a new type of book, a new genre, a new letter... Uh, Rather than a narrative, we are no longer tracing large portions of Scripture, following uh, a number of verses, perhaps even a chapter at a time as we did in Genesis. Rather, uh, we are not trying to figure out uh, what God is saying through a sub-story, but we are reading greetings and personal reflections and instructions as we come to this letter. But we need to see, And we need to recognize that although we're in a different book, the truths that we will see, the truths that we will read about, the truths that we will seek to interpret and apply to our own lives as followers of Jesus spring from Genesis, spring from God's Word for the one who was described in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 as speaking creation into existence is the very one that Paul seeks to readily and repeatedly exalt through this letter to the church at Colossae. And the one whom Genesis anticipates being the one through whom all nations, all peoples of the earth would be blessed is the same one that is exalted in this letter As the one who has blessed and is blessing and will continue to bless all peoples of the earth. And his name is Jesus. I don't know what you think of when you think of Jesus. Perhaps you think of a baby in a manger. Maybe you think of a long-haired Jewish man. Maybe you think of a bold teacher that didn't have a problem stepping on people's toes. Maybe you think of a tender-hearted, nice guy. Perhaps you think of something totally else entirely, but whatever comes to your mind as you think of Jesus, I hope that together we can not totally forget those things, but lay those things on the table as we come to the Word of God and invite God to instruct and to repair and to enlarge, to expand our perception of who Jesus is as the one God has revealed to us in his word, ultimately the one who reveals God to us in the flesh. So let me invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians is a short book that's tucked away near the end of your Bible, and if you're not careful, you'll quickly skip right over it without even realizing it. It's together with some of Paul's other short letters, Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. And you can remember that. You can remember that order and help you find its location by, by remembering, Go Eat Popcorn. So if you can remember, Go Eat Popcorn, then you can know Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So this morning we find ourselves in Colossians chapter 1. And as you're turning there, before we look at it together, just a word of background Uh, regarding this letter. And so unlike Genesis, which uh, is a long book of 50 chapters that tells stories and communicates events that span hundreds, if not thousands of years, here we come to a letter that was written at a specific time to a specific people, the church in Colossae, and by a specific author in about the year AD 62. Paul writes this letter. He writes it from prison, probably uh, from prison in Rome. And he writes it, we learn from this letter, to a church that is experiencing false teaching. A church that has encountered and been impacted by false teachers. Now we don't know exactly what that false teaching looked like. Uh, We don't have the document, so to speak, or the message, so to speak. Uh, in written form that Paul is responding to. Rather, we are sort of listening to one side of the conversation. We hear Paul's response as he speaks into the situation of this church. Uh, But as we work through this letter, as we examine it, we'll see a number of different aspects of this false teaching. But for now, suffice it to say that Paul is absolutely intent on exalting, on magnifying the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ as Lord of all through this letter. And so whatever specific teachings uh, are connected with this false teaching, it's safe to say that we can infer from this writing that, that in some way it diminished the lordship and the supremacy and the sufficiency of the one who is at the center of our faith, Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes, speaking into those circumstances, that situation, inviting his listeners, inviting his readers to rediscover Jesus. So look with me now at Colossians 1, beginning in verse 1. And there, God's word reads this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Now just as letters and emails today often follow a certain pattern, a certain format, letters in Paul's day, letters in the first century often followed a certain format. And you don't have to look very far in Paul's letters, and there are a number of them, you know, that comprise a significant portion of the New Testament. But you don't have to look very far to discover that he often follows a particular pattern. He begins with a greeting, identifying himself as the author and naming his intended recipients. And then he often transitions to thanksgiving and prayer, usually addressed and offered up for those to whom he is writing. Now, have you ever written a letter? or Perhaps composed an email. Perhaps even a text message. Although texting is somewhat of a less formal type of communication. But have you ever drafted a letter in which every single word was carefully calculated? Perhaps a love letter. Maybe a resume cover letter. Maybe at some point in your life, in your career, a resignation letter. Maybe even a response to someone else uh, regarding an unfair criticism toward you. Well, even though Paul is following a particular pattern in the composition of this particular letter, uh, even so, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God, every single word he writes is carefully calculated. And even within a pattern, there is something significant, multiple significant things that he wants to communicate, and then ultimately God is communicating through him. And here in this particular letter, particularly in the opening verses of this letter, they revolve around the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And this morning from these opening eight verses from Colossians chapter 1, I want us to see three truths Uh, About the gospel of Jesus. And the first is this. That the gospel of Jesus reconfigures identity. The gospel of Jesus reconfigures identity. The language that we use to describe people. Whether we're describing someone else or ourselves. Often says a great deal about what we think about them. For example, if you address someone as precious, you said, hey, precious, that communicates something very different than if you said, hey, you. And in the same way, here in Paul's writing, his language, the descriptors that he uses communicate great truths regarding what he believes About his own identity and the identity of those to whom he is writing. Notice how he describes himself in the opening verse. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Identifies himself rather quickly. I am Paul. I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Communicating that he is an official representative of God. And Writing was something important to communicate. He has something important to say here. In other words, before everything else, before anything else I could say about myself, Paul writes, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus because he has called me to be just that. And second, notice the familial language that he uses, the language that we use to describe family members. Right away, he gives credit to Timothy for being a fellow compiler of this letter. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And Timothy, how does he describe Timothy? Our brother. Timothy, our brother. And then he carries this even further in describing the ones to whom he is writing. And it's important for us to note and understand that Paul has most likely never been to Colossae. We have no record of him traveling to this city that's about 100 miles east of Ephesus in Asia Minor a modern day Turkey. Yet he thinks it important to describe those to whom he is writing as the faithful brothers and sisters. Faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of your Bibles may say the faithful brothers in Christ. And the Greek word that's used here, adelphoi, can be translated either way. It's a masculine uh, word that can refer to a group of brothers or a mixed gender uh, group of siblings. And most likely here, faithful brothers and sisters represents what Paul is communicating. For he is writing to the church, addressing the church, comprised, no doubt, of both men and and women, but not only does he address Timothy as his brother and Christians in Colossae as brothers and sisters, but he takes this familial language a step further by saying, "Grace and peace to you from God, our Father," describing God as their father. And as you know, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we use the same language. We recognize that God is our Father. We've already heard that language this morning, expressed a number of times. Sometimes I think we're so used to talking that way that we forget the incredible change and opportunity and privilege that we have experienced going from simply human beings, creatures, people who have been made to being called Children of God. Sons and daughters of God. If you've ever flown anywhere, airplane or otherwise, if you've ever been above the surface of the earth, you know that you don't have to travel very far to where you can no longer see people on the earth. We know from our experience and from looking around at creation that we are but a small speck in God's magnificent creation, that this world does not revolve around us, and yet the almighty maker of heaven and earth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, invites us to be his children, and invites us to approach him as a loving and heavenly and gracious father. What a privilege. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul says it this way, he says, you are members of God's household members of God's house, members of his family, sons and daughters of God. And as if this familial language doesn't communicate the point enough that we have a new identity, a reconfigured identity as believers in Jesus Christ. He takes this even further when he describes these people, these recipients, these believers as God's holy people in Colossae. He's writing to God's holy people in Colossae, and they're not holy because uh, they have some excellent character, or because they have some heightened sense of uh, moral excellence. This is not what he's saying here. They are holy because they've been set apart by God for the work of God and for the worship of God as his people. And their physical location is in Colossae, in this city. But more important than their physical location is their spiritual location. They are in Christ to the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Meaning they belong to Christ. They are His. Believers in Jesus. Christians. Followers of Christ. People of faith and the God of the Bible. Belong to Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And we owe our allegiance to Him. And to His gospel message. The gospel reconfigures our identity totally completely radically comprehensively ask yourself this morning where do i find my identity where do i find my identity in in this life how do i describe myself what am i before Anything and everything else, because the reality is that most people in the world are not finding their identity in Jesus Christ. And I would dare say that many, many people in the church, particularly in the Western church, are not finding their primary identity in Jesus Christ. Because we are so accustomed to pursue success and excellence and achievements and pleasure and accomplishments in this world that we often fail to forget that in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ we have been given a new identity which is our primary identity and we often forget the radical implications of that message on our pursuits and our priorities. Christian men, we need to stop determining and defining our sense of identity and self-worth and vocational success. In our children's athletic or academic accomplishments. In our struggles and failures and temptations. In our ability to entertain others. and in, in our popularity or likability or whatever else. And Christian women. Don't fall into the trap of. Determining your identity and your sense of self-worth through your perceived physical appearance or attractiveness before others. Or the size of your family, the order and organization of your home, or your career success, or whatever else, folks, we... Need to start recognizing and living in light of who God has called us to be and says that we are in His Word as valued, cherished, and precious children of the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. We live in a culture and a day that prods us to find ourselves in an identity, to discover who we are. It's Republican or Democrat. Rich or poor, suburban or inner city, black or white, businessman or professional, gay or straight. We could take this list on and on and on. We are prodded to sort of claim an identity for who, who we think we are. When the reality is we live in a world that needs to desperately find its identity in and through Jesus Christ and begin living in light of that identity for He determines who we are. We find our primary identity in Him and apart from Him we are nothing. Folks, the gospel of Jesus reconfigures Our identity. And secondly we see from Colossians chapter 1. That the gospel of Jesus produces gratitude for God's grace on others. The gospel of Jesus produces gratitude among believers for God's grace on others. Particularly other Christians we see here. Because Paul goes on after this opening greeting. And begins to transition to thankful prayer. Expressed thankful prayer for those to whom he is writing. In verse 3 he says we always thank God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven about, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. The striking thing for us as we seek to understand what it is that Paul is saying here and doing is that he's never met these believers He's never been there. He's only heard about them, and yet he is expressing to them now that he regularly, often offers up thankful prayers on their behalf. When was the last time you and I expressed gratitude to God for his grace on other Christians? That we have example after example after example in the New Testament in the writings of Paul, particularly in these letters, of Paul doing just that. Because he has been changed by the grace of God as expressed and realized in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And specifically, he thanks God for their faith in Christ. For we know that faith in Christ is what gives us a new identity in Christ. And he thanks God for the love that they have for for all God's people. I think we sang about that love just moments ago. And it is a love that overflows, that is an outworking of a reconfigured identity in and through Jesus Christ. It's a love that Jesus told his followers that they would be known by. When he said, I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Everyone will know that you are my followers if you love one another. Folks, it's people of faith and the God of Scripture, as followers of Jesus, we can't, we can't hate a brother or sister in Christ very long for the same Spirit who has united us together in Christ will soon convict us of a wrongful attitude toward others who are also in Christ. The gospel of Jesus moves us, compels us, because of God's grace and His compassion on us to express gratitude for what He is doing and what He has done and what He will continue to do in the lives of fellow Christians. Ask yourself this morning, for whom am I thanking God? For whom am I thanking God? Reality is that most of us are so prone to ask, ask, ask that we often forget to thank, thank, thank God for His goodness and his provisions and his guidance and his blessings and his gifts in our own lives, much less in the lives of other Christians. But let's be a people of faith. Let's be a church community. Let's be brothers and sisters in Christ who are known for continually going before God and thanking God for his grace in the lives of others. Folks, the gospel of Jesus reconfigures identity. The gospel of Jesus produces gratitude. And finally, we see in God's word here that the gospel of Jesus reproduces naturally. The gospel of Jesus reproduces naturally. Paul is writing, once again, to a situation of false teaching. And in his writing, just like a laser beam, he hones in on the most important thing that he could communicate. The heart of the message, and that is the gospel, the good news of salvation in and through Jesus Christ. Look back at Colossians 1, picking up in verse 5, describing what he is thanking these fellow Christians for. He says, The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, and about what you have already heard, and the true message of the gospel that has come to you, in the same way, The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So Paul writes to these believers that are being swayed and impacted by false teaching, and he reminds them of the message they heard, the message of the gospel. The gospel. Message of good news in and through Jesus Christ, and he reminds them from whom they heard it Epaphras. We know from Scripture, we know particularly from Acts chapter 19, that Paul had spent quite some time living in the city of Ephesus and proclaiming the word of the Lord in that city. Scripture tells us that he stayed there for two years preaching the gospel. And as a result, Luke concludes in Acts 19, verse 10. He says that "That every Jew and Gentile in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Presumably because of Paul's preaching and his faithfulness. No doubt. That is probably a hyperbole. It's exaggeration. But the point is that people from towns all over that region came to Ephesus to hear this man preach the gospel. And as a result, many responded in faith to the one whom that gospel is about, Jesus. And then took that message back to their own cities and towns and began sharing it with their neighbors and living in light of it. And the result was communities transformed around the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is probably what happened here with this man, Epaphras. He'd gone from Colossae to Ephesus. He'd heard the message of the gospel. He'd responded in faith. He'd become good friends with Paul. And now he had taken it back to Colossae and began to share that message. And the result was a local church was born there. And now he's probably gone to Paul and reported to Paul what is taking place in Colossae. And this letter then is a response of what's taking place there. And I love what one particular commentator says about the gospel As it is conveyed here in these verses, Colossians 1, 5 through 8, he writes, The gospel is essentially a reproductive organism, a plant whose seed is in itself. Because as people truly respond to the grace of God, and the way that Paul writes it here when he's describing these uh, Colossian Christians, he says, just as you have been doing since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. When people truly understand God's grace and what he has done for us, they begin to live differently from the rest of the world. They begin to live in light of that truth. And the way that they live, the way that they follow Jesus Christ, makes an impact on communities, and communities are transpo- transformed around the reality of the gospel. How many of you like to garden? Anybody like to garden? Any hands? Anybody brave enough to raise their hand in church? I see some that are like this. Some of you are like, I hate gardening. Others are not going to raise your hand in church, no matter what, and that's okay. But we can all identify, thank you, with with gardening and I have a neighbor somebody lives in our neighborhood that uh, is a master gardener I'm serious there is such a thing you can be trained and educated in home horticulture and as a result you are skilled uh, among most of us to keep your lawn looking well maintained and groomed and his lawn always looks fabulous he has a number of trees and shrubs and plants that provide color to his yard for much of the year and that's what many of us are trying to do at this time of year. When the sun is shining, it's a pretty day, it's not sopping wet as it has been. Many of us are rushing to Lowe's and Walmart and Hannah's to pick up some flowers to take home and make our yards look pretty for a little while. And I'll be honest, I really, I, I really don't like planting flowers. Um, I'm not sure how you can, but one reason that I don't like planting flowers is because Uh, usually they don't stay colorful very long. Uh, You plant flowers, most of us plant annuals, and you watch them, and they're they're pretty when you buy them. They're pretty maybe for a few weeks if you're fortunate and uh, have the capability of putting a lot of water on them, then uh, they may stay pretty for several months. But then what happens? They die, even down to the roots, and you have to pull them up. And if you want your yard to look good, you've got to put something else in their place. And although a master gardener doesn't overlook the value of planting annuals each year, a master gardener knows the importance of planting perennials, trees and shrubs and plants that bloom year after year and provide cover and beautiful stuff every every year. And you know, that's sort of what what those who respond in faith to the gospel do. Not only do we bear fruit inwardly with a transformed and changed attitude and actions and outlook and mindset because of the grace of God we've experienced in our life, but we also continue to grow outwardly year after year as we begin to impact homes and neighborhoods And communities and cities and nations with the truth that is the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Because God loves us and cares for us and calls us to be his children and calls us to be his light in this world. Because the gospel transforms lives. The gospel transforms communities. The gospel gospel transforms cities. The gospel transforms nations. And as followers of Jesus, let's fix our eyes on Jesus that we might be perpetual perennials of the gospel. Continuing to grow and to bear fruit and to make an impact on the world with the truth of Jesus Christ. Folks, ask yourself this morning, in light of the truths of God's word, ask yourself, how am I growing in the gospel? How am I growing in the gospel? Am I growing in the gospel? How am I bearing fruit? Why am I bearing fruit? Why am I not bearing fruit? If not, have you discovered the gospel of Jesus? Have you been transformed yourself by receiving the gift of salvation in Christ and turning to Christ for salvation and living for Him, walking as a follower of King Jesus. If not, let me invite you to receive the grace of God today. There's no better decision than you could ever make. Give your life to Christ. Receive the gift of salvation. Walk as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God. Perhaps you've received that gift, but... You've lost sight of the grace of God as has been displayed in the gospel. If so, let me invite you to rediscover the gospel of Jesus today. To refix your eyes on Jesus. To recommit yourself to following Jesus. To being used by Jesus for the good of the world and the glory of our great God. Folks, we've seen this morning that the gospel of Jesus reconfigures our identity. The gospel of Jesus produces a gratitude in us for God's grace on other Christians, and we've seen that the gospel of Jesus reproduces naturally. What I think we are seeing from God's word is that faith in Jesus activates a continual cycle of gospel transformation. Faith in Jesus activates a continual cycle of gospel transformation, both in us and through us. For the good of the world and the glory of our great God, have you been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your revealed word to us and for us that centers on this message of salvation. But we thank you for the truth that you have revealed to us, that we might know you, that we might be reconciled to you, that we might live for you, that that we might walk as your people, that we might have the exceptional privilege of calling you Father. Father, I pray that the grace of the gospel would be ever before us as your people, Lord, as a church, as we seek to follow you and to be obedient to you and to live for you. Lord, lead us and guide us in all that we do that we might be found faithful. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and I see things. Amen.